coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. Later in the show, our guest will be Alabama State Conference President and... Also, I believe he's a national delegate. No, a national board of director member of the NAACP. His name is Bernard Simelson Sr. And he will uh, join the show to talk about, well, Alabama. Let's see, we've got uh, what's going on in Alabama lately that might have us discussing <laughs> matters of race. Oh, yeah, the folding chair. Well, actually, the, the, the scuffle, the brawl uh, in Montgomery over the weekend along the riverfront. So we'll talk with him uh, a good bit about that. Also, redistricting efforts or lack of efforts on the part of the state after the Supreme Court ordered them to redraw maps. We will talk with Bernard about that. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit about the nonpartisanship of the NAACP, or is it? I know you're, you're coming at me already. Hey, 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 don't attack. I'm not, I'm not attacking the NAACP. I'm actually kind of making the, the opinion known that the NAACP can't be nonpartisan so long as one party is always the party doing the attacking of the rights of people of color. It's hard to be nonpartisan when you have two parties to contend with and only one is actually an enemy of the person of color. That's up for debate. We'll discuss that with Mr. Simulton uh, later in the show. I almost hesitate to start the show with this because uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to fall into the, what what did Eric Erickson call this? The COVID fear porn <laughs> strain of uh, uh, media here. There is a new COVID variant, the EG5 variant, nicknamed Eris. Uh, and folks in the public health uh, business are watching this. Uh, no indication, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that this emerging st- strain is responsible for an uptick that we are experiencing here in Georgia or is more virulent than other strains in the Omicron family tree, but it does come from that. <clears throat> According to the CDC estimate for a two-week period ending Saturday, this variant, Eris, EG5, uh, which is a descendant of Omicron, makes up about, according to the AJC, 17% of cases around the United States surpassing other strains in the eight-state southeastern region that includes Georgia the variant represents an estimated 16% of cases, according to the CDC. Uh, there was a, a video series that uh, the CDC's Todd Unger was hosting with the CDC's Vice President for Science, Medicine, and Public Health uh, at the American Medical Association, uh, Dr. Andrea Garcia. I want you to listen into their conversation that talks a little bit about the upcoming chances for another triple-demic like we had last fall. Well, that is really good news. And of course, RSV was one of the legs of the triple-demic that we saw last year. Are we concerned with fall coming up pretty soon that we're going to be facing another? Or is it still too early to tell? Well, Dr. Mandy Cohn, who is the new director of the CDC, has said yes in a recent interview. And she was quoted as saying, we're going to have three bugs out there, three viruses. COVID, of course, flu and RSV, and we need to make sure that the American people understand all three and what they can do to protect themselves. Uh, With so many states currently experiencing record heat waves, thinking about respiratory virus season and these infections um, that come with fall and winter is probably pretty far from most people's minds. 
However, uh, while the spread of these respiratory viruses is currently low, the CDC is already starting to detect slight increases in positive COVID tests and COVID-related emergency department visits. Um, and that decline in COVID hospitalizations has stalled. Now, this shouldn't be surprising. We've seen summer surges in the Southern US before as people start to move indoors due, due to the heat. And from what I understand, we may have another new variant to worry about on the COVID front. Is that true? Yeah, so the Omicron XBB subvariants do remain the most prevalent forms of COVID. But last Wednesday, we saw the WHO uh, identify a new XBB version. It's EG5. It's rising in prevalence around the world and here in the U.S. I don't know that it's time to worry about this just yet. Uh, we know very little about this new variant. There is currently no evidence to suggest that it causes more severe illness. And the CDC is indicating that it does appear to be susceptible to COVID vaccines, which is good news. Now, you mentioned overall COVID transmissions appear to be uh, relatively low right now. But what about deaths? The last time we talked about COVID numbers, we were still seeing what would be considered as far too many. Is that still the case? Well, one number that was the focus of a recent New York Times article is the number of excess deaths we're seeing right now. And that looks at the total number of people dying in the U.S. each day from any cause. And I think the good news here is the number of excess deaths is no longer historically abnormal. CDC is estimating that the number of excess deaths is less than 1%. As you can imagine, that number was inflated through most of the pandemic. However, I think it is important to keep in mind that these estimates are based on provisional data. They're incomplete. And the CDC notes on their site that these estimates are at this time subject to a great degree of uncertainty. So uh, going back to the AJC article, I will, of course, share it in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Uh, Food and Drug Administration uh, voted to update the fall COVID vaccine formulation to target that XBB variant, um, a branch of the Omicron lineage, and they expect to authorize the updated COVID vaccine by the end of the month, and shots are expected to be made available in September, early October. Mm, how many people, how many of us go out there and get these? Yet to be seen. Uh, there was some discussion in the article from uh, Dr. Eric uh, Topple a uh, professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research. I almost went for that job myself. Uh, he said that the Omicron variants are similar enough that an updated booster is expected to protect people infected with EG5 against severe disease. So there's that. Anecdotally, I happen to know of a few people who have had COVID in recent weeks. In fact, we had one on the show, uh, my friend David Alexander from Monday Show. He mentioned it. He had COVID and it it pretty much knocked him on his ass for uh, a while. And, and I remember that because he's really good about checking in on social media. He's a, he's a good social media guy. A, a fantastic, funny follow, by the way. Um, yeah, he was he was down for the count for a few days. And our, our mutual friend, Greg, who is in his early 70s, also had COVID. I dropped by some... Uh, I, in fact, I went and got his Paxlovid for him and, uh, well, and the test so he could keep getting tested uh, I always tell people when they start experiencing anything like sore throat to go get some fresh cut pineapple. So I got them some pineapple and stayed afar. <laughs> Literally left it on the porch and left. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking to get that. So, <laughs> um, oh, and then my friend uh, Nick down in uh, uh, Fayetteville, I 
think he's got COVID. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I think he was waiting to get some tests. So um, those are at least, I mean, you know, again, that's anecdotal on my part, but that'll just tell you it's not just an Atlanta thing. It's not just an active adult thing. It's not just a senior thing. Those three people of varying ages, 50s, 70s, uh, Nick's in his late 20s, early 30s. <clears throat> so it's going around again. Uh, be vigilant. You know how to, you know how to do this. Wash your hands, uh, as often as possible. I still carry hand sanitizer in my car. I do still have masks in the car. I don't usually wear them, although I did wear them a bit more when we had the wildfire smoke, just because I was the the child of a couple of smoking adults and y'all back in the seventies and eighties, you're not gonna believe this. You were allowed to drive around in your car with your kid in the car, windows up, smoking a cigarette. It was insane, right? Wild times, crazy times we lived in. You didn't even have to wear a seatbelt either, by the way. Kids either. Didn't have to, whatever. Yeah, we lived in wild times back in the 70s and 80s, y'all. So uh, I feel like my lungs only started feeling okay for things like running 5Ks or playing active sports and stuff like that maybe five years ago. So I'm not looking to get smoky lungs again, so... If uh, folks want to chastise me for wearing, what are the, what are the right wing? A face diaper. If you want to wear a face diaper, if you want to submit to the machine, whatever, man. I'm just trying not to die early, you know? Lots of talk in the political spectrum, and this doesn't really have a bearing, or maybe it will have a bearing on local, regional politics, but those who follow politics pretty closely were watching the Ohio ballot measure that was up for grabs yesterday. Uh, it was an attempt to block an abortion rights initiative from passing in November. Ohio Republicans put together a constitutional amendment, making it harder for voters to pass constitutional amendments. They pushed it through to the ballot and brought it to a vote on the kind of low turnout August election day that usually helps them. Oh, oh didn't help them this time. Not only did they lose, they lost bigly. And there's tons of excuses. Uh, Matt Huffman, uh, state Senate president. Uh, one thing that hurt us, uh, in the election was the length of time of the campaign. Um, he went on to say until May 10th, we didn't know there was a campaign. So it took us a long time to put the campaign together to execute the campaign. Okay. Look, it's also worth noting that by definition, the people who initiated the question, they were, by the way, his people. They had longer to plan and execute the campaign than the other side did. So throw that excuse out. Um, he also says he was uh, deeply disappointed with the Republicans who didn't rally to the cause, saying there were some key folks on our side who actively opposed this, some pretty vociferously. Republican Secretary of State Frank LaRose blamed it on out-of-state spending by opponents of the amendment for its defeat. I'm sorry, I... That's always kind of a weak argument to me. Out-of-state spending when only the folks in the state can vote. What does that matter? I mean, seriously, aside from just bludgeoning the voter with television, radio, and print ad campaigns that just drive us bat crazy over election campaigns, it doesn't... No, no, sorry, it's not going to... He uh, also tried to boost his own Senate hopes by aggressively backing the campaign for issue one, but in the final days of the campaign, as things were looking bad, he started trying to paint his Senate primary rivals as not having done enough to help, saying this is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. This was back in June. 
giving opponents of the measure exactly the evidence they needed to mobilize voters in defense of abortion rights. So maybe <laughs> LaRose's words were a powerful message just for the other side. Here's the thing, though. It wasn't just about abortion. Um, even if that was sort of the immediate reason for rallying folks to the polls and for Republicans to try to put it on the ballot now before November abortion rights vote. Oh, also one on marijuana legalization. So maybe that had a little bit of uh, impact on the turnout too. See, no, Republicans there wanted to use the higher threshold. They wanted to make it like a 60% vote threshold instead of a simple majority for amending the state constitution to block all kinds of issues in which they're way more to the right than even Ohio's voters who have been breaking for Republican presidential candidates for quite a while now. Uh, in 2024, an anti-gerrymandering effort and a minimum wage increase may wind up on the ballot. Then again, maybe this is about the Dobbs decisions and the dog caught the car. So, arf! Back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. After the events of May 2nd, remember the mass shooting that occurred at the Northside Hospital in Midtown Atlanta? Uh, five people shot, one fatally. A little bit of an unnerving situation earlier today at Grady Hospital, but uh, police APD uh, assuaging those fears that there is no active shooter situation, but there was something going on Uh at a parking deck near Grady Hospital earlier today. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting that uh, APD took a man into custody after shots were fired in a parking deck uh, attached to Grady Memorial Hospital, forcing a brief lockdown. Uh, APD officers were called to the deck on uh, Jesse Hill Jr. Drive uh, a little after 1 o'clock today and discovered multiple vehicles that appeared to be damaged by gunfire. Uh, police quickly refuted reports of an active shooter that circulated on social media and said there have been no reports of injuries. Uh, multiple people who knew each other, according to the uh, AJC article, uh, were involved. Uh, at least one man quickly taken into custody, but their identity and charges not yet released. Officers are canvassing the area to locate others involved. Tomorrow, many eyes are going to be on Cobb County and their school board. I don't know if you remember this, uh, earlier this year, we found out that a fifth grade teacher in Cobb County was put on leave. Her name, Katie Rindley, uh, back in March because she read My Shadow is Purple, uh, a book about gender identity, sort of, to fifth graders. Anyway, her hearing is tomorrow on whether or not she will remain employed with the Cobb County school system. She is still on leave. Um, as far as we can tell, she is the first public school teacher in Georgia to have to face the music under a series of laws passed in 2022 that limit what teachers can talk about in the classroom. Uh, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, in a June 14th letter outlining its findings, the district accused Rinderly, who taught at Due West Elementary School, of insubordination and willful neglect of her duties. In conversations with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and through the Southern Poverty Law Center, Rinderly and her attorney have maintained her termination would be unjustified. So, we had her attorney on earlier uh, this uh, year to discuss the ramifications uh, of this pending decision and how we got here in the first place. I want you to listen to a little bit of that conversation. Craig Goodmark is Katie Rinderly's attorney. Craig, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. So has she been informed? Well, I, 
it's my understanding there's going to be a like a hearing on August 3rd, right? Has she been informed of anything beyond administrative leave? We'll discuss this on August 3rd. She was investigated. Uh, then there was a recommendation for termination made by uh, Human Resources. Wow. The superintendent has recommended her for termination to the board. Uh, she received a letter on June 6th that said that Cobb County School District intends to terminate your employment. Wow. So I guess that becomes official when she shows up August 3rd to get their verdict? Correct. She gets an opportunity because she has tenure here in Georgia. Uh, she has an opportunity to defend her job uh, in a proceeding that would be in front of the school board itself or what's called a tribunal of the board. Did they elaborate in any way as to what in this book was the line too far crossed? No, and that, and that's really the difficulty here and the difficulty that's created by these Georgia censorship laws that have been passed recently is that nobody really knows what's divisive. Nobody can define it. Nobody can decipher the statute to tell us if we've gotten to the line or if we've crossed the line. Mm. And in this case, you've got a book that uh, uh, from you know Monday to Thursday would seem benign and positive and appropriate in every way, but somehow on Friday becomes a violation of the law. And I'm reading from reporting at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's my understanding from this story that she, the students actually voted on this book for her to read to the class. One student, not even maybe in, even nefariously, mentions the book to a parent. The parent, also a teacher, uh, is, it, is the teacher also in the school system? Correct, Cobb County school teacher. And then goes and reports this teacher, uh, Miss, Miss uh, Rinderly, for reading the book. Is that how it played out? That's correct. The book was purchased at the book fair that was in her school. <laughs> um, it, was, it wasn't part of uh, her lesson plan uh, for her to choose the book. The lesson plan was for the students to choose the book. The okay. students all um, had a vote. The majority vote was that they read this book, and then she created a exercise based on the book. We're on the phone with Craig Goodmark, an attorney uh, based in uh, Decatur. Do I have that right? Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta, Decatur. Anyway, uh, Craig is representing Katie Rinderly, who is likely to be the first teacher to fall victim to the divisive concepts law signed into law in 2022, all for reading a book, My Shadow is Purple, to fifth graders. No mention of transgenderism. Uh, sexuality doesn't come up, and, and no, nothing nefarious. There's not even the first drag queen in the story, and yet Miss Rinderly may lose her job. Craig, do you or have you had access to her personnel file? Has does she have any other issues that 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 come up that might lend you to believe that okay, so this is something that has been simmering and brewing, and this is the straw that broke the camel's back? No, Katie is she's a. You know, a model teacher. She's an exemplary teacher. Um, she's been teaching for 10 years, and her, her evaluations are sterling. Um, there are standards that evaluate her lessons. Those were high level. Uh, her communications with students were also evaluated at a very high level. Um, this is just a, a, a model teacher for Georgia's public education system. Um, and, you know, Georgia and Cobb County now is, is you know, using these, you know, politics to 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 really chill the speech of teachers you know across the state and really you, know, you mentioned that this is the first teacher but but the impact of these laws is statewide mm -hmm. um, teachers are self censoring um, the discussions regarding race regarding you know these what are 
consider divisive concepts uh, are being chilled. Uh, students are losing the opportunity to debate these issues, mm-hmm. to discuss these issues, to evaluate them for themselves, and to critically think. And uh, it's doing a disservice to the public education system in Georgia, and especially to those students. You heard her attorney in that conversation back in late June talk about how she had been an exemplary teacher up until she was put on leave in March. Ten years tenure as a teacher with the school system in the state of Georgia when teacher retention is at near historic lows. You heard her attorney in that conversation I had with him in late June talk about the fact that she was an exemplary teacher, nothing on her personnel file uh, except for commendations, and that she had been with the system for more than 10 years. Do you know how odd that is that anybody stays in public teaching uh, at this point in time? Retention is super low at historic lows. This could be what destroys our American education system, folks. This anti-woke nonsense. We'll be watching that story tomorrow. Back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. It's The Ron Show. Take The Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. I'm happy I get to speak with Bernard Simulton. Am I saying your name right, by the way? Uh, I say simulton. It's what you say. No, it's not what I. <laughs> uh, Bernard Simulton is the uh, president of the Alabama chapter of the NAACP. Do I have that right? The state conference, the Alabama state conference. Is that right? Right. The okay. Alabama state conference. Well, uh, what's going on in Alabama these days? Is there anything to discuss? I'm just. <laughs> well, where, where do you want me to start? Well, so with redistricting, you want to start? With, oh my gosh, with, uh, yeah, we Tub- could Tuberville, or you want to start with the incident oh, in in Vermont, uh, Montgomery this weekend? What do you say? You what do you say if the two of us pull up a couple of folding chairs and actually use them to sit down and have a discussion? <laughs> Uh, So obviously the thing that everybody is talking about is the Montgomery incident. And so by now we know the identity of the dock uh, dock worker. Uh, This this poor guy almost had to single-handedly take on uh, a batch of men who were trying to insist that they had the right to park their pontoon and uh, where, you know, where they did. And so we have uh, the identity, of uh, Richard Roberts, no relation to me, by the way, uh, Alan Todd and Zachary Shipman, who uh, all decided they were going to gang up on this dock worker. And uh, Damien, I, Damien, Damien uh, Pickett's his name. And, uh, you know, bless him for mm-hmm. all he had to put up with. But what, what do we know beyond that? Uh, obviously, this has sparked, you know, some conversations about uh, race uh, I, I pointed out yesterday, it's it's interesting that a lot of the, the right-wing pundits that love to pounce on situations like this, if the perpetrators were of color, are pretty silent on this. Mm-hmm. What, what would you like to add? Well, you know, uh, we heard through a <clears throat> kind of a second party uh, a young lady that uh, talked directly to one of our members and um, she has said that, and I won't call her name at this point, but uh, she has said that uh, uh, there were racial slurs that oh, were sure. being and I was surprised the police chief today did not mention that and uh, because that would 
help to indicate that there are potential hate crimes there. Mm. And so, and of course, I know they're not finished with the investigation yet. And uh, so that's, you know, still to look at more video and, and, and talk to more people to find out if, in fact, that was. And uh, like, say, the person that uh, I heard through uh, one of our other members that talked directly to the person said, yes, there were uh, racial slurs that were uh, being hurled uh, in, in addition to the fingers and hand sign gestures and all that. Mm. There were racial slurs that were um, uh, being hurled throughout the uh, conversations, or if you call them conversation. <laughs> and uh, but you know, if you look at the uh, dock worker, he, this gentleman was trying to do his job. He was trying to uh, get the boat's clearance space so it could dock you know and you know from what i understand you know they were on the boat for over 40 minutes trying to dock and oh you know yeah. that that in itself uh you know i don't know what charges but there seemed to be uh able to possibly make some additional charges there for you know delaying or causing the delay unnecessary delay of people being able to get to their next appointment and stuff like that for sure yeah and and and, and so uh, I, I think there will be more charges uh, mm. brought, and uh, the NACP is certainly monitoring this situation. Uh, you know, we're not, we're certainly calling for everyone to remain calm and uh, let at least initially the authorities do their investigation. And then, you know, we will speak out whether they have done what they should have done. Uh, but we are certainly uh, very concerned about the image that has been uh, portrayed right. there by the, the acts of these individuals. And because uh, Alabama is already on a national spotlight uh, because of what uh, Senator Tuberville is doing, as well as the redistricting case. Mm. And this adds to all of that, showing really who Alabama is and that the, a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, racism that exists still exists mm -hmm. today, and it has not uh, not you know been dealt with adequately, and so we're we're very concerned about this. So, uh, in in full uh, transparency, full disclosure, I lived in Mobile, Alabama, for about a year and a half uh, through my radio uh, career before it, you know eventually brought me here to Atlanta. But, uh, you know, I have some fond memories of living in Alabama and worked with some fantastic people. I, you know, I call her Mama Karen because she was our mama. She was the receptionist that worked at the front desk. Mama Karen mm -hmm. took real good care of us. And so, you know, staying in touch with Mama Karen has been, you know, uh, you know top, top of mind for me ever since uh, I, I lived there. Uh, but when you speak of issues of race, I keep going back to the Senate election where Doug Jones won that Senate seat in, in what was, I guess, in some sense, a surprise but considering the <laughs> the opponent he had to take on with the allegations of sexual misconduct with minors and this, that, and, the, and his overt racism in and of itself, uh, I really thought that maybe Alabama had turned a corner because we saw the demography turn out in a statewide election with, what do they call it? They call it the, 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 the rural black belt that, you know, kind of traverses from Alabama through Mississippi. If, we're with Bernard Simulton with the Alabama NAACP, by the way. Are the numbers there to challenge a Senator Tuberville uh, or, or take take on a, a statewide office? Yeah. How close is Alabama to turning purple like Georgia is, I guess, is the question I have. 
Well, Alabama is certainly a long way from turning purple. Right. But and you know what we have said, you got you have to start now. You know, planting those seeds because if you just say, well, you know, Alabama is red and it's it will never turn, you know, purple or blue, mm -hmm. then it never will. But you got to start planting those seeds. I think there are a lot of good people in Alabama who get caught up into, and I'm just going to put it out there, some of the Trumpism, mm -hmm. and and they cannot turn away from that. You know, you you look at our Attorney General. You know, uh, that some of the things that uh, they made about <clears throat> the state of Alabama, you know, losing, you know, the particular Republican Party and the NACP is nonpartisan. But they talk about the uh, Republican Party losing some of its power if this redistricting case does not go their way. So they know that there are people in the state who want to change and if that momentum began to swing as it did with Doug Jones, if we can maintain that over a you know couple elections, then the state will become more, you know, uh uh more level minded mm -hmm. and uh and 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 we'll see things much different. And so that's what we, the NACP and other civil rights organizations are working towards. And uh, we will continue to work towards that goal, you know, because we believe that there are enough people in Alabama that can make this change if, you know, we can get to them and uh, get them away from some of this Trumpism that they are of being fed every day. Can I just say, and, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you say when you say that the NAACP is a nonpartisan organization. I understand that it is. But I also think that it would be a privilege if the NAACP actually just could be a nonpartisan organization and not have to weigh in on issues like, uh, you know, uh, redrawing maps. Unfortunately, only one party is egregious in their efforts to curtail uh, participation in elections for people of color, and it's not—it's not Team Blue. <laughs> well, it, it, it's—I uh, I think if you look at what the NACP has stood for over the years, mm -hmm. we have been successful and been nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. And and I know there are a lot of people say, well, you know, if you were partisan, uh, you could get a lot more accomplished. Perhaps we could, but you know, we we think we've been successful because of our uh, ability to speak specifically on the issues without putting a a party or a partisan slant to it. Mm -hmm. You know, speak on the issues. You know, we talk about you know. Uh, Blacks needing to have more political power, more economic power, mm -hmm. and that's a, 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 a an issue. That's not a. It's not partisan. It's not uh, a racist policy. It's a policy that needs to take place because of the past discrimination that has occurred mm -hmm. against people of color. And so, uh, you know, we don't. Uh, uh, make any qualms about how we feel about that. You know, we we know that, and it's again, it, it's done in a nonpartisan way. It's it's because of uh, past discrimination. 
We are on with Bernard Simulton, the uh, state chapter president of the NAACP. Uh, so, where are we now with the congressional redrawing situation? Uh, we under like there's there's one of seven that uh, are are are, uh, are serving in the Democratic Party from the state of Alabama. There's bound to be a second liberal or you know progressive you know minded. Uh, congressperson to come out of that state if these maps were fairly drawn. And and for the record, the, the state's been told to draw a more fair map and they're resisting. What's the late, what's, what's, what's set to happen? Well, not only are they resisting, they flat out refuse to abide yeah. by the, uh, uh, the order of the federal district court in Alabama, as well as the Supreme court of the United States, mm. the, the maps that they drew, they do not meet the requirements stipulated in the uh, court ruling. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, if a organization or if someone refuses to abide by a court order, then, you know, what is supposed to happen? You know, there's supposed to be additional legal action taken against that entity or that person or the, in this case, this state. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are pushing for. We go to court on Monday. And they will hear oral arguments as to why, you know, well, Alabama will present its argument as to why they think their map meet the intent of the uh, Supreme Court and the uh, Voting Rights Act of 1965. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to present our arguments as to why it does not only not meet the requirements of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, but also did not meet the requirement and what they were told to do by the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. you know. And, of course, Alabama has a history of that. If you're talking about everything from yeah. integration of schools to uh, 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 integration of University of Alabama, yeah, yeah. where they refuse to do mm -hmm. to follow those uh, uh, laws and rules. And so it's it's par for the course for Alabama to uh, not do what they're required to do. Now, I think the real reason that Alabama is not – they want to get it back – Get, somehow get this case back into the courts. Maybe not this specific case, but get a redistricting case back into the uh, courts at the Supreme Court level and see if they can't um, held the Supreme Court rule that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is null and void, just like you know they were able to do in the Shelby versus Holder case mm. where they were able to uh, get the Supreme Court to rule that uh, Section 4B was invalid because the, you know, uh, things have changed since, uh, you know, 65 and that the reason that the Supreme Court ruled that states had to uh, uh, had, had to uh, include e enough uh, uh, African-Americans to, uh, to 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 actually do a proper election those things no longer exist uh, because states are, are they i guess they're saying that states are more fair now than they were back then I but, mean, but come on <laughs> we know that uh racism still exists in voting and i think this is a, a prime example as to why they need to the, the states <clears throat> the Supreme Court needs to pass a John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Extension Act or something. Absolutely, yes. Well, and and this goes back to my my premise that you know it, it would be a privilege 
I, I say this about fiscal conservatism too. Like that's a privilege to be a fiscal conservative. I would love to be a fiscal conservative if, if you know, if, if the chips were were falling in an, in, a, in a modicum of uh, uh, equilibrium. And I think it would be a privilege for uh, a civil rights activist to say, "Well, I'm nonpartisan," but clearly you're having to fight one party vastly more than the other. When it comes to equality, unfortunately, um, so that's where we are. I agree with you. That's where we are. But you know, we're not going to give up, and uh, we believe that justice is on our side, and we believe that right is on our side, mm. and we're going to continue to fight this battle, you know, until our life breath, because we know that we are on the side of right. Well, before we, uh, we stand up, and I take that folding chair from you, because I'm not going to turn my back on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I, want, I wanted to ask you, I know you are a graduate of uh, uh, Mississippi Valley, but you live in Alabama. And, and again, I, having lived in Alabama, there's a lot of intense pressure when you move into Alabama to choose a side in the Iron Bowl. Did you have to choose a side or did you feel the need to? Or No, no I... Good, good. I, Stand your ground, man. You're a Mississippi Valley man. I, I'm a Georgia man. That's what, I, that's what I, I, I tell everybody. I'm uh, Mississippi Valley. I don't care who win uh, over in Alabama right. and uh, whichever one wins, that's fine with me. For them. Uh, I'm strictly uh, an MVSU fan yeah, and uh, support them all I can. But do you smile a little when Georgia beats Alabama in big games? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go on the record for that because I don't want to get you in trouble. Anyway, Bernard Simelton with the Alabama NAACP. Thanks for joining me on the Ron Show today. I appreciate the time. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Final segment of the Ron Show for Wednesday. I want to get back to the Cobb School Board Katie Rinderly story just a little bit. Uh, so I was running low on time in that segment and wanted to remind anyone that there will be this hearing tomorrow at 9 a.m. Uh, it's going to take place at the district's office. That is a 514 Glover Street in uh, downtown Marietta. And um, well, this hearing starts at 9 a.m. tomorrow, but it could actually carry on into Friday from what we understand. She is um, facing several rules violations. Uh, in this letter, um, Rinderly is accused of violating uh, instructional resources selection and acquisition. Uh, this policy states that teachers may require written permission of parents or guardians if, in his or her opinion, the content may be of a sensitive nature. Reminder now, as you heard her attorney say a few minutes ago on the show, and back in late June when we had him on initially, she didn't pick the book. The students in the class did, and it was purchased at a school book fair on school property at that book fair. You know how the book fairs work, right? The vendors come in, they set up shop, and yeah, I mean, so if anything, maybe the school board should do a little bit better job of vetting the books at the book fair vendors bring in instead of scrutinizing the teachers again with teacher retention issues being quite common now another rule uh instructional resources selection and acquisition all right we covered that uh controversial issues that prohibits teachers from using classroom instruction to espouse personal political beliefs or theories of origin (laughs) the book is called my shadow is purple it it speaks about a, a little girl who realizes that her mommy's shadow is pink, her daddy's sh- shadow is blue, and she doesn't really relate to either. I mean, come, who didn't grow up with tomboys in class uh, in elementary school? I grew up with several tomboys, and they didn't all become 
transgender or lesbian. They, they were they were just tomboys. They were interested in in things that boys were in, playing sports and playing with cars and not so much with Barbie dolls and this, that, and the other. It didn't... Uh, another rule, the Parents' Bill of Rights, this one kind of gets me, uh, allows parents to learn about their child's courses of study and object to instructional materials which they feel are, quote, divisive or harmful to minors. How the hell is this book harmful to minors? I will, again, include the YouTube... Uh, it's like a reading rocket, uh, nice little you know, musical interlude with cartoons, read along thing uh, in today's show notes. You can see this for yourself. This is not a divisive book. Uh, Anyway, uh, parents can uh, learn about the courses, mirrors what they feel are destructive or harmful to minors, and withdraw their child from sex education at the school. (laughs) This book was read to a fifth grade class and had nothing to do with sex or gender. Uh, Also ethics. And uh, this one kind of this one kind of guts me a little bit because again, according to our attorney, Katie Ridley had a sterling record, ten year tenure in the school system, nothing but glowing reviews. Rinderley is accused specifically, this is in the AJC article that I'll share in today's show notes, of violating the quote honesty and professional conduct standards in the ethics code. Rinderley quote failed to acknowledge. The book was inappropriate when she maintained in conversations with district investigators that it was about inclusivity, not gender identity, according to the letter. Just awful. Cobb County is going to lose a good teacher in an era where teacher retention is something that every public school system is fighting an uphill battle against. And this will not help them. As I mentioned before, I had her attorney, Craig Goodmark, on the show back on June 23rd. I also had uh, the president of the Cobb County Association of Educators, Jeff Hubbard, on the show as well. I will uh, include the link to that podcast episode so that you can hear it again for yourself in its entirety uh, in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. In fact, what I'll give you is the SoundCloud link so it can go specifically to that episode. Okay? All right, cool. Uh, Real quick, before we go, John Ossoff did something that no statewide Democrat had done in decades. Like, I believe nearly 20 years. Uh, He addressed the Georgia Chamber of Commerce Congressional Luncheon in Athens. As did Governor Brian Kemp. It's sort of assumed that those two are going to go head-to-head for Ossoff's Senate seat. Uh, Brian Kemp is term-limited out of the governor's race, so he's got to look for something else, and Ossoff's Senate seat would be the first major plum up for grabs. Um, Ahead of his speech, according to the AJC's jolt column uh, at today's uh, AJC.com, ahead of his speech to the thousand or so attendees, Ossoff stressed his bipartisan bona fides Two reporters. A few minutes later, one Ossoff supporter texted that the senator was about to enter, quote, the belly of the beast. Yeah, chambers of Commerce do tend to be a little bit more pro-business and conservative. Uh, as the column continues, when Ossoff took the stage to polite applause, he talked up federal infrastructure investment and green energy incentives that have helped bring tens of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars in investment to Georgia. Of course, you know, as Brian Kemp will try to attest, that had nothing to do with the tens of thousands of jobs, green energy jobs that have come to the state. Uh, 
Uh, Ossoff said, you will not find me investing my time in courting controversy on national cable news or posting insults on social media. That's not the way to get things done for Georgia. And my job is to get things done for Georgia. A little bit of a shot at Brian Kemp because Brian Kemp does like to take usually vapid swipes at uh, Joe Biden and Democrats a lot on social media. And when I say vapid, I mean, he, he makes he makes claims that he tries to attribute to Joe Biden that actually are dated back to when Donald Trump was president. And we know how <clears throat> Brian Kemp doesn't like to talk about Donald Trump. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes at RonShowATL.com. Have a great one.